The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is the future of cars with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo in the automotive industry and its supporting ecosystem and help them move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you want to run with the Game Changers, or I should say, if you want to ride with the Game Changers, you are in the right place, and you know why. This is the future of cars with Game Changers Radio, presented by SAP. What's the buzz on the street today? The buzz is Open Sesame. Think back, 1704, I know you weren't there, Alibaba and the 40 Thieves, but I digress and I will come back to that. Let's talk about the networked economy, one of our favorite topics. Let's think of it in almost scientific terms. The networked economy is a complex organism. It has dependencies. It has connections among virtually all things. I'm invoking the concept of sensors and Internet of Things, the Internet of Everything, especially when we come to our topic here, connected and autonomous vehicles. So let's talk about this. What's going on with all of these connections? Well, if you think about it, connection between and among, meaning two or three or more, cars and their manufacturers and the production assets that create them on the assembly line or even a little bit of a handmade car. The transportation infrastructure as vast as it is around the world. What about the service providers? What about the data aggregators? And what about, last but not least, drivers and passengers' personal devices? Think about it. Any one of these points can become an entry for malicious activity. Those are the bad guys and girls who have nefarious goals in mind. And guess what? Any one of those entry points used wrongly can put everybody in the network at risk. What role do you play in that security? What role do I play? What role does the world play? Let's go back to all of the people and the things I mentioned in this reality check. So we have a panel of experts who are going to help us figure out today. Let me just briefly tell you who they are. Joining us for the first time is C, initial C, Sean Pike. He goes by Sean, research manager at IDC Manufacturing Insights, joined on the panel by our regular. Otto Shell, Global SAP Business Architect and SAP Center of Excellence at GM. Happy to have Otto back. And the sponsor of this series, Larry Stoli, Senior Global Director of Automotive Marketing at SAP. We have a lot of brain power here, so let me get started introducing Sean Pike. Sean has sent me an interesting quote from Ayn Rand. Some of us grew up pronouncing it and, but it's A-Y-N Rand. She's the author of The Fountainhead. And here is a quote from Chapter 1, page 17, between the Dean and Howard Rourke. But let me just tell you a little about it. The Fountainhead is a 1943 novel by Ayn Rand, her first major literary success, and to date, and I say that advisedly, over six and a half million copies have been sold worldwide. 
the protagonist of the Fountainhead is Howard Rourke, R-O-A-R-K, or Roark, however you pronounce it, an individualist young architect who refuses to compromise his artistic and personal vision for worldly recognition and success. And he paid the price. The novel was made into a Hollywood film in 1949. She, Ayn Rand, wrote the screenplay, and Gary Cooper played Howard. Here's the quote. That's not the point. The point is, who will stop me? Wow. Sean Pike, welcome to Game Changers. How are you? I'm well, Bonnie. Thank you very much uh, for having me. Just, uh, just one, quick, uh, one quick point of clarification. Uh, I, I am actually uh, the program vice president for our security products group at IDC. I'm glad to have that, and I'm putting in my notes. Okay, for security, I'm putting it in. Thank you very much. And now tell me something about this quote. Are you a follower of Ayn Rand and the Fountainhead? Well, I think when we talk about uh, connectivity and, and, and IoT, you can't help but talk about the Fountainhead. Uh, I, I think Ayn Rand actually uh, said at a point that, that the primary theme of the Fountainhead is really individualism versus collectivism. And so many times when we talk about IoT, uh, whether or not you're talking about connected vehicles, uh, we're really talking about what are those things that the devices can, can do for us. But it very quickly turns into a conversation about how can those devices help control particular behaviors. And in, in, uh, in the U.S., of course, we, you know, we've, we've seen a, a good amount of population growth uh, over the last 20 years or so. And, of course, population growth is... Uh, is a big challenge really all over the world. So uh, when you think about in terms of population, that continuing to grow and, and then trying to shape those behaviors based on whatever your national beliefs are, I, I think a lot of times folks think about IoT and, and how those devices can help shape behavior. Uh, we've had folks uh, internally call, call IoT devices uh, digital babysitters. So uh, when you think about it in terms of digital babysitting, Ayn Rand and, and the Fountainhead has to come into the conversation. Very interesting. Digital babysitters, I've never heard that one. And, Sean, interesting, we have a, another series, a mini-series called uh, Internet of Things with Game Changers. That word, has, that phrase has never come up before. I have a question for you about the quote. It, it dawned on me. That's not the point. The point is who will stop me. We're talking about security, and we're going to go further into with you and, and Otto and Larry about whose responsibility is minding the store, if you will, minding the security in these data points. So, Sean, my question is when he says, the point is who will stop me? If you think of somebody sitting in a car connected to on whatever device, an Android, an iPhone, their iPad, whatever onboard digital connection point they have, and they're saying, yeah, right, nothing's going to happen. I'm going to do this while I'm driving or while my friend is driving. I'm going to do that. Who will stop me? Are people saying that? Are people saying, oh, don't give me that security risk crap, excuse my French. Uh, I'm going to do whatever I want. So who will stop me? That goes in many directions. Would you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. And that's, that's actually why, why I chose that quote in particular. So the, the very scenario that you're talking about, the person that wants to, to drive down the, the road in their vehicle and play Pokemon Go and say, I have the freedom to do whatever it is, who's going to stop me? And of course, people use this quote all the time, uh, or, or some version of it, in terms of a kind of an inspirational quote, right? Who's going to stop me? I've, you know, I've got the freedom to do whatever I want. But if you think about the other side, well, perhaps the answer as to who's going to stop you is, the connected vehicle or the connected device. 
Thank you very much, and we have a lot to talk about. Sean, it's such a pleasure to have you on. We're looking forward to a great deal of information insight from you, and uh, a shout-out to Heather Ashton, one of your colleagues at IDC, who is a regular on this show with Otto and Larry. So I hope Heather is doing well. And now let me introduce again Otto Shell, Global SAP Business Architect, and he's at GM. And here's another classic quote. This is from Don Quixote, The Golden Age of Men, Book 1, Part 8. We've got a lot of very literary references today and those of you who are very young and never heard of Don Quixote in a serious sense rather than in the I think there was a Johnny Depp movie uh, maybe that was Don Juan DeMarco I'm getting him mixed up Don Quixote is fully titled The Ingenious Gentleman Don Quixote of La Mancha a Spanish novel by Miguel de Cervantes Saavedra it was published in two volumes in 1605 and 1615 and Don Quixote is considered the most influential work of literature from the Spanish Golden Age and in fact, the entire Spanish literary canon. And according to the Bach Lubin World Library collection, Don Quixote is the author's choice as the best literary work ever written. I'm just going to stop there. So here's another iconic work. And here's the quote Otto Schell has selected from Don Quixote Neither fraud, nor deceit, nor malice has yet interfered with truth and plain dealing. Welcome back, Otto Schell. How are you today? I'm doing very well, and uh, I know that the question is coming later, but I have my coffee, and I'm sitting in Austria, near Kitzbühel in the Alps, and uh, tried to relax some days, and uh, yeah, I think uh, this this quote has um, some sense um, talking about security at the end of the day. Uh, when you want to open the world, when you want to talk about IoT, when you want to talk all the possibilities we have to fight against those windmills, the fight uh, against those uh, everyday coming in threats with security. But on the other side, we all know that we have to move forward. So I thought it's a quite good uh, good quote. I'm not sure who is Don Quixote myself or if I'm Sancho Panza, but somewhere in the Middle East uh, is the uh, truth. <laughs> Touche, touche. I appreciate that. I didn't get around to what's in your cup today, but we'll be asking you. You told me you would be calling either in from Germany or Austria. So did you say you're in Austria today? Yeah, I'm in Austria. I'm in the near of Kitzbühel, very famous for the uh, Alpine skis uh, resource. Mm -hmm. And uh, just taking a little bit offline, just taking a little bit of fresh air here. And uh, it's quite nice. Well, we're very pleased that you took the time out of your fresh air time, Otto, to join us again. I'll never stop uh, remembering that you told me you like you have a very tricked out car, an SUV, very fancy, and you love to play techno music, and that's another conversation. So thank you very much, Otto, for joining us. And let's round out the panel with Larry Stoley, Automotive Marketing Senior Global Director at SAP. And Larry has sent a very classic quote, not from a work of literature, but from an iconic gentleman, the late John F. Kennedy, who was the 35th president. President of the U.S. from January 61 until his assassination uh, about two and a half years later in November 1963. I'm one of the boomers who lived through that. I was in a schoolyard. Uh, it was an annex to Bayside High School and here in it was Queens, New York. And uh, we got the news and everybody just froze in place that the president had been assassinated. That was a terrible day in history. Interestingly enough, in this era right now of very contentious elections, specifically in the U.S., and a lot of political turmoil, shall we say excitement around the world. 
John F. Kennedy continues to rank highly in historians' polls of U.S. president and with the general public, and his average approval rating of 70%, Larry, can you believe this, is the highest of any president in Gallup's history of systematically measuring job approval. Larry, we'll talk about that in a second. Here's the quote Larry selected from the lore of John F. Kennedy. Quote, there are risks and costs to a program of action but they are far less than the long-range risks and costs of comfortable inaction. Larry Stoley, welcome back to your own series. How have you been? I've been well. Thank you, Bonnie. Delighted to have you back, as always. like having you on every couple weeks here on the show, along with Otto and and your uh, colleagues from IDC. So, Larry, tell me, are, are you surprised that JFK ranks that high in historical presidential approval? Not really. I mean, he is a classic example of, of the right mentality, the right uh, character at precisely the right point in time. I think, I think that more than anyone, anything else uh, conspires to make him, you know, that well received. It's not about John F. Kennedy. It's not about the time he lived in. It's not about the circumstances of the time he lived in. It's the combination of those things. And I think that's, that's indicative of what we're going to talk about as we go forward in this program on security. You know, Bonnie, I too was in, I was in the eighth grade, uh, November 22nd, 1963. I remember it very, very well. Mm-hmm. One of those iconic days, uh, uh, when John Kennedy lost his life for me. And, Honestly spoken, I spend a lot of time teaching personal security. So security in and of itself is is extremely significant in my life. And I think the important thing in the quote here is, you know, it's easy. It's comfortable to not do anything, to not be concerned. On the other hand, being paranoid is not the right thing either. So, you know, there's a happy balance between, okay, everything's got risk, everything's got reward, but not doing anything about anything is significantly dangerous. And Larry, not doing anything about anything, are we are talking about progress, are we talking about communications, are we talking about interconnectedness or, or everything put together in terms of did we really need connected cars, did we need automatic, autono- autonomous driverless cars, do we need to have onboard computer systems, do we need that? So comfortable inaction, what's the, what's the difference or where do you draw the line between, yes, this is where our civilization and our culture is now and Nah, you don't really need to be texting somebody from the back seat of a car because you're opening a data entry point. What's your quickly your philosophy on that? Well, technology is going to take us forward, and there's absolutely nothing we can do about it. People are going to take advantage of technology. They're going to use technology to their ends, to what they want to do, and there is nothing anyone or any anybody can can do about that. You know, anything that anything we try to do to suppress that technology uh, in its movement forward is repressive. And that's just not going to happen in this day and age. So I, I think we have to go forward. We have to go forward and accept the change that technology forces on us. We just have to be smart about doing it because, as with anything else, there are unintended things that happen, and we have to be cognizant of those possibilities. But by golly, technology is going to take us forward. 
I think that horse is out of the barn door. I think that's an old expression, Larry. And yep. whatever we might say about it, yes or no, it's just too damn late. Absolutely that's agree right. with you on that one. We are here. The uh, um, Elvis has left the building and he's on a cell phone somewhere. <laughs> and we're just not going to tell him not to do that. So thank you, Larry. And thanks, Larry, for putting together, again, a stellar panel and great topic. And now we're going to turn back around the table to Sean Pike. And, Sean, I'm going to ask you where you're calling from. And we'd love to know a little bit of something personal personal about you what are you drinking right now during the show this is called what's in your cup today segment or what are you planning to drink later after we're off the air sean pike uh yes i'm actually uh calling from uh, framingham massachusetts which is where our uh, corporate headquarters is just outside of boston uh i'll tell you bonnie typically it's a uh it's a grande iced chai from our friends at starbucks uh, but this morning, I, I actually went with the uh, with a southern drink of choice. In case you couldn't hear uh, the accent, <laughs> I did grow up in the South, uh, so I went with a southern drink of choice, which is the Diet Dr Pepper, which uh, which I know doesn't sound all that exciting. But I will tell you that I passed a gentleman in the stairwell of my uh, my parking garage this morning, and he was very excited to also be holding a uh, a Dr Pepper. So. Oh, my goodness. You are bringing back memory, Sean. We had uh, a consultant from, I think, Texas on many times. Oh, I think it's Brian Summer. Brian S. Summer, I think, was his name. He hasn't been on a Game Changer show in a couple of years. And his favorite drink at any time of the morning when he was on the radio with us was, I believe, a warm Dr. Pepper. That's what he liked to drink in the morning. I think that was his wake-up drink. Brian, I, Brian Summer, wherever you are, I am, I am channeling you and invoking you. If you hear this, let me know if you're still drinking your warm soda in the morning. We always got a kick out of that. Uh, so you have a little bit of an accent, Sean. I didn't detect it. Where, where are you from originally? So I actually grew up in uh, southern Virginia. Uh, Virginia sort of goes into a point where it meets up with, uh, with Tennessee and North Carolina and West Virginia. I grew up uh, right, in that, right in that corner. Thank you very much. I have family in the Raleigh-Durham area now, and one is from uh, my son-in-law is from Greenville, South Carolina. I learned not to say Greenville. It's Greenville. Yes, that's as southern as it's going to get from me. So a shout-out to them down there in Raleigh-Durham, and very nice to meet you, Sean, and uh, very happy you're drinking what makes you happy. And Otto Shell in beautiful Austria taking time out from smelling the beautiful fresh air and looking at the Alps. Uh, Otto, what are you drinking today, and what time is it there? That's, uh, we have around about um, 4.15 p.m. in the afternoon, and uh, I'm here in, in the apartment where I'm living for some days, and uh, I just took an espresso from an espresso machine, which I also take normally at home, or uh, even my sons have them in, in, in their homes, so typical classical espresso. Any particular, I have an espresso also when I use the pods, any particular flavor you inserted into the machine for your cup? Black and dark. Ah, okay. I'm with you on that one. Thank you very much. I've learned to make iced coffee, iced Nespresso in the summertime, Larry. I had it at a restaurant in Manhattan a couple of uh, auto, a couple of weeks ago when I was seeing the Carol King musical Beautiful on Broadway and popped into uh, 
Olive Garden, and for dessert had an iced yeah. cappuccino, and I figured out how to make them at home using some really good dark Nespresso, espresso uh, with ice, a little bit of vanilla ice cream, got to be good, a little bit of ice cube, a little bit of agave syrup, and it just makes you smile. It's so sinful. What can I tell you? Thank yeah, you. And you can top this. You can yep. top this. Just put a little bit of amaretto inside. Oh well, listen. Uh, that's for after. Uh, that's for after the radio show day is over. Amaretto. You know what? I think I still have a bottle of amaretto hidden in the back of the liquor closet, which hasn't been opened in a couple of years. It's time. Thank you, Otto. You've inspired me, Larry. Look what Otto's doing to me. Absolutely, Larry Stoli. Where are you today? And what are you drinking? I'm today, like always. I'm in my home office, uh, very comfortably leaning back in my office chair. Um, you know me, Bonnie. I don't drink anything exciting. It's just black Folgers. Uh, but, you know, let's stop talking about what I'm drinking. Let's talk about my cup. Okay. Um, I just made a change in coffee cups. I have now one of the Yeti coffee cups or Yeti tumblers, if you will. You, everyone, I think, knows Yeti. The, the real high-end, very efficient, very effective yes. keepers of hot and cold. I will tell you that it is now possible for me to forget and burn my tongue two hours after I pour coffee into that cup. So no. I'm, you know, I, I've, uh, it's not what I'm drinking. It's what I'm drinking it from that's interesting to me these days. That's fascinating. And I just Googled Yeti, Y-E-T-I Tumblr, and I see they, well, they range in price from, you can get a 20-ounce for about $27 at Sam's Club, up to the powder-coated green one for 60 bucks at Trends Shirt Company. And let's see, there's a Yeti, Y-E-T-I dot com, Rambler Tumblers, the most advanced stainless steel double vacuum insulation and no sweat design, Rambler Series drinkware, Larry, hold on to your hat for this one. Built for the wild. <laughs> Larry, I'll tell you, it gets wild when you burn your tongue, I'll tell you. you oh, I'm so uh, sorry. So sorry to hear that. You can get them on Amazon. You can get them at Dick's Sporting Goods. Uh, you can get them at Walmart. You can get them at Academy.com, RTI Coolers, all kinds of places, and Academy.com, Academy Sports Stores. Wonderful. Thank you for that introduction. Yes, it's the vehicle, the vessel. It's the vehicle that matters, doesn't it, Larry Stoley? That's right. So we're here. We're here on the field. I thought that was a good segue, if I say so myself. The Future of Cars with Game Changers Radio. I'm speaking with Sean Pike at IDC, Otto Shell at GM, Larry Stoley at SAP. I am Bonnie D. Graham, and I plan to continue to be me. And as uh, Sean doesn't know, but Otto and Larry know, I'm very, very boring. I have cool, clear water and a cool, clear mug. Today I have a pink straw because it's sunny here in New York. Hopefully the heat wave is just about over. We have had enough. Thank God it wasn't rains and floods like down south, but the heat has been Unbelievably oppressive. 90 degrees at 10 o'clock or 11 at night, 111 during the day, but I digress. So we're going to take a quick break and let our panelists have a pause that refreshes, have a little bit of something to drink. And when we come back, Sean Pike and I are going to kick off the roundtable in earnest. We're topic, talking today about connected vehicles. One security point on a vast data network, but as we've already talked about, it's what's happening with that connected vehicle while it's in production, when it comes off the assembly line, when you get into it, who is in it, who is doing things around it, who is connecting to whom and what from inside and around that car. A lot of security points. What is that vast data network? What are the risks? We're talking about security today. So don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. You know the drill. Justin out.
comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. SAP is excited to be a co-innovator with the automotive industry as we help automotive and related companies digitally transform their entire industry and disrupt their existing business models. The Future of Cars with Game Changers brings you insights from the people in the driver's seat who are making this happen. We'll delve into industry challenges and solutions that support ecosystem industries, all to help you succeed in transforming your business and business networks for success in the new digital networked age. Tune in to the Business Channel to hear today's top technology and business strategy thought leaders share expert insights on how the automotive industry is shaping the future of change for all of us. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to The Future of Cars with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to the future of cars with Game Changers. Absolutely. We're back today talking about security risks inside and around that connected car. Connected cars are a wonderful thing, and so are modern communications, and so is the Internet of Things. But put them all together, you might have some security risks. Yes, you do. We're going to start off the roundtable with Sean Pike at IDC. Sean sent me some terrific talking points here, but we're going to start off with some IDC research. I thought we that would be a good place to start. Talking about consumer privacy and connectivity, the obvious. Let me just read one note here from Sean and then he'll expand it. He says, IDC predicts that the worldwide Internet of Things market spend will grow from $692.6 billion in 2015 to $1.46 trillion in 2020. And let's talk about how that relates to what's going on with connected cars. Sean Pike, please start. Sure. So the uh, the stats that that you just read. So so one thing I'd like to just quickly mention is you can you can very quickly see how uh, connectivity is becoming more pervasive in the home. So if you think of the, the things that you own that are connected, uh, watches now, TVs, appliances, etc., and it's becoming more and more difficult to uh, to actually find items that aren't connected, uh, including your vehicle. So as you talk about uh, privacy. One of the things that, that we talked about as far as privacy is concerned many years ago, uh, three, four, five, six years ago, uh, was the idea of kind of guest tracking and the ability for folks to, to track you down based on the, the GPS signals from, from your phone. Uh, that, of course, could carry over uh, into a connected vehicle uh, now that we have GPS tracking and things with your, uh, with your vehicle. But even more than just kind of finding out where you are or, or who you are with, with relation to the device, there have always been fears around the idea that we're removing some level of freedom. Mm-hmm. So if you think about, uh, I, I think Progressive has a, has a tool called Snapshot where they kind of monitor your driving patterns and, and habits and then adjust your rates based on how it is that you drive. Uh, there's a there's another device called Automatic, which I, which is uh, something similar to that progressive snapshot, but has some additional functionality. But having those types of devices around you uh, that can can monitor uh, what you do and and how you do it, and then report back 
is a is a really scary topic for a lot of folks. Certainly is, and I, you know, we had a conversation with your colleague Heather Ashton a couple of weeks ago, Sean, about where you put some kind of a device in your car to have them check your driving habits, your skill level, your actual mileage, and you get a report back and and uh, on whether they're going to lower your insurance rates. Uh, Larry and, and Otto, you remember that conversation with Heather Ashton? And oh yes. Sean, Sean, very interesting. I had said oh, I yes. never wanted to do that because I didn't want a big big brother, big sister, or mommy or daddy in the car. I, I don't drive very much, but uh, Heather got a report back that had a much lower rate qualifying rate than she expected because she has a teenage driver sharing her car and his habits are different so she got a kind of a uh, slap in the face on what was actually going on with driver habits in her car very very interesting sean thank you otto why don't you comment on what sean introduced and then we'll get larry in and then we'll move along go ahead yeah i'm not sure if i have big to comment but if you see what's going on with pokemon is completely right no because this is something where People in a sudden phase stop fearing security. They're all open with their localization. They, they had everything in, in less than one week. The, um, the provider of this application get a really stock exchange increase. So all those kind of things which are happening around us sometimes let people forget it. And I think he is completely right with the observation that um, there are big chances on the other side also of K. We have to make sure people take it not as seamless as they did with this one. And can you imagine uh, everybody would follow a Pokemon in a car? would be a really great chaos, right? Yep. Larry Stolle. You know, it, it's interesting what Sean brought up and, and what uh, Otto alluded to. I had a letter yesterday from my insurance carrier saying, and, and by the way, I'm a GM guy, so everything I have is OnStar connected. Um, mm-hmm. I had a letter from the insurance company. He said, Sign up here. We'll take your OnStar data. We'll adjust your insurance rates based on how you drive, how how much or how little you drive, and so on and so forth. I said said to my wife, "Let's do this." She looked at me and said, "Are you crazy?" So here I am, willing and you know quite um, desirous to accept that intrusion into my personal affairs, if you will, that security. I'm willing to give it up. My wife. Absolutely no. I don't want anybody to know where I am. I don't want anybody to know how fast I drive. I, you know, and it's like there is a tremendous diversity mm-hmm. among people in the world around security. Myself, I'm open. My wife, very, very closed and cautious. So this is, this is not a topic that's going to be universal uh, very quickly. There's a lot of emotion here. Thank you. There is a lot of emotion, and somebody, I think, Otto mentioned Pokemon, and I just found an article. You know uh, you know how I love to look things up. The first Pokemon Go car crash has finally happened. Get the details. This was a month ago, and this is on a website called cinemablend.com. About a week after Pokemon Go launched here in the U.S., we got our first confirmed case of a car accident involving the game. Nobody was hurt, seriously, but the car was totaled. This was in Auburn, New York. They plowed their car into a tree on July 12th, confirmed they were playing Pokemon Go, making them the poster child for what not to do while driving your car. They called the car a 3,000-pound death sled. Whoa, Sean, you want to respond to that one? Right, so this, uh, this gets back to exactly what we, uh, what we were talking about uh, at the beginning of the show. Uh, so kind of that idea of, well, who will stop me, right? So 
that's one of the, the really good things or, or benefits potentially around connected vehicle and, and having a uh, connected personal area network or a connected ecosystem for folks uh, so that the vehicle could, could do things like signal your devices to not allow you to, to play Pokemon Go uh, is one of, the, one of the real benefits. And, and by the way, I, I know exactly where Auburn, New York is. I went to law school at Syracuse. So uh, uh, nice shout out to, uh, to that uh, central, central New York region. Thank you very much. You're, you have a lot of, lot of reference points there. Uh, Sean, before we move on to some statements, some uh, roundtable statements from Otto and Larry, I have one here. I want to talk about the positives. We've been harping a little bit on the negatives and the intrusions on personal privacy and behavior. Let's talk about connected car positives. You have something in your notes here called things like ambulance mode for vehicles. Now, this to me is the, the, uh, the, a point where privacy and safety come in together, basically butt heads in terms of communications from the car to outside agencies or outside resources. So why don't you tell us, what, what is this all about, ambulance mode for vehicles? Why is it a good thing? Yeah, we talked uh, uh, just a few moments ago, we per- uh, talked pretty narrowly about the, the future of connected car, uh, the things that we're, we're seeing already uh, or, or we'll see in the next year or so. Uh, when I talk about things like ambulance mode, my, my idea here and, and what other folks have talked about is uh, imagine eliminating the ambulance or, or near eliminating the ambulance so that an individual, if they were in need of medical attention, could, uh, assuming they could make it to their vehicle, the vehicle could be placed in ambulance mode. Uh, it could uh, warn other vehicles that it's going to drive much, much faster than normal to make sure that mm-hmm. the individual makes it to a hospital in route. It could, uh, it could actually send potentially diagnostic information uh, to, uh, to the recipient hospital and maybe even give the, the passenger life-saving advice on the way to the, to the hospital. So in that way, your connected vehicle becomes really a, a, a gateway to, to a life-saving technology. So in, in that way, connected car could, could potentially be amazing and, and very helpful. Um, but of course, there is the other side where you say, "Well, you know, now all of a sudden your your data is being your healthcare data is being transmitted. How are we going to protect that?" and and those kinds of things. And I think those challenges are certainly real and going to be there. But as Larry said a moment ago, technology is taking us in a direction. We just need to make sure that we do it in the right way. There you go. And at that point, it would be uh, almost a play on words when you say, uh, "Okay, try to stop me." Right? (laughs) I'm on my way to save somebody's life in my car. I'm going back to the quote. Uh, The point is, who will stop me? And the answer is, nobody should, because I'm on a mission to save a life somewhere. Thank you, Sean. Otto, any comments on ambulance mode, good or bad? You agree or disagree? Otto? I think we lost Otto. Okay. Larry Stoll, you want to jump in? I think Otto is. Of course. Okay, good. Go ahead. You know, when we first started this series, we talked about all the breadcrumbs of autonomous driving that we've been fed, you know, from from ABS to adaptive cruise control to electric steering and self-parking and all those things. You know, OnStar has always had this crash warning system. In other words, if your airbag deploys, you know, OnStar is called and they can dispatch medical assistance. That's just one step to this ambulance concept that Sean talked about. So this is... This is um, where technology is taking us. I mean, it's, it's the right thing to do. Is it always the perfect thing? Probably not. But nevertheless, we're there. This is the world we live in, 
and there is nothing we can do except to move to the wilderness off the grid, if you will, uh, to prevent it. So enjoy the ride. Just do it smart. Well, if anybody had a thought that Auburn, New York, uh, Sean, forgive me for this, please, was off the grid. They're not because they're crashing into trees playing Pokemon Go there. So we're looking for off the grid. Otto Shell, I hear that you're back. Why don't you comment on yeah. ambulance mode? Otto, thoughts, please? Yeah, I'm not sure if we really need an ambulance mode because when the car is going to ambulance, it's too late. You remember one of our shows when we talked about Connected City? How this could work that you have um, sensoric in the cars and everywhere connected. Maybe the ambulance already there when you stop at the, uh, somewhere in the city and uh, it repairs you at the ground. Yeah, so um, I think we we need to think here much more diverge what's possible with um, having everything uh, connected. Maybe even uh, you will be dropped in a different car and they take your car apart. Hmm. Sean, any thank you, Otto. Sean, any comments to wrap this one up? Uh, so, so not particular to uh, to ambulance mode necessarily, but but mm-hmm. one thing I'll, I'll note is is I, I find something that's really interesting to me as a consumer. Uh, now that we're talking about these higher level functions, we, we um, and Larry, Larry and Otto probably know this better than I do, but I think the average age of a vehicle on the road today is still around eleven or twelve years old. So some of this technology as a consumer, if you're looking to buy a new car um, or, or you're looking to buy a new car in, in the next two or three years, it, it's going to be very shocking, I think, to, to a lot of consumers about the types of options and features that are available in vehicles. That's a very, very interesting point. Did you really say 11 or 12 years old? Seriously? And, and are these mid-sized cars? What, what kinds of cars are, well, the good news is that the cars are still working, right, Sean? And the bad news is that they're missing out in technology and then the complicator or the, the, uh, the multiplier, in my opinion, is that when they get the new car, they don't know what in the world to do with the technology because maybe they heard about it, they read about it, but they don't know what to do with it. Sean, quick comment on that? Yeah, so uh, so my, my research showed uh, about 11 or 12 years old. I, I'll tell you this, my car is only about six years old, but my fiancé uh, drives a, a vehicle. It's a, a Honda that is, uh, I think, just past 20 years old at this point. So, uh, so that 12-year that number seems about right to me. Wow. I'm driving uh, an eight-year-old. I'm driving a 2008 um, Nissan 3. I think it's a 370Z, my little convertible sports car, my little two-seater. Uh, it was a little claustrophobic when I finally found it, but after about 10 minutes, I said, yes, that's good. So it, it has a little bit of technology. Uh, it has a really a really lousy microphone system for talking hands-free, but it does have an old GPS aftermarket, and I actually used it the other day to go somewhere new. But I can't wait for the next Z to come my way in a couple of years. Eight years old is uh, is so not not very old. Are you telling me, Sean, that my car is relatively new compared to most cars on the road today? Yeah, that, that's what it sounds like. And if you're you're anything like uh, like my fiance, she absolutely refuses to give her vehicle up because it's only got this. Uh, I think 70,000 miles on it at this point. So I uh, won't make the switch. No, mine has 28,000 miles for an eight-year-old car because, hey, radio keeps me tethered here to my desk. <laughs> where am I going to go, right, Larry? Where, where am I going to go? Right. How am I going to go anywhere? And, and, 
This is Radio Mode 24-7 here. Thank you very much, Sean. Really interesting insights. Otto, I'm looking at your notes here. Something interesting here. Let's talk about synchronization and partnering in a customer-centric, omni-channel environment is critical to success. Let me read one more line here, Otto, and then you can explain. You say, it is the combined responsibility of all to make security tight but respectful so that it will not be onerous, meaning troublesome or negative or a burden for customers, drivers, and operators. Otto, so whose responsibility is it really? Yeah, I personally think that it's, as described, a mixed responsibility. So when you, you can put whatever connected car on the street, if government and rules around this don't, don't connect this to city laws to, to government laws, the car may not drive. Yeah, If you have uh, the end vision in 20 whatever, where we have um, different OEMs putting connected cars in one line and they're driving behind, how do you want to connect them if you don't get to, to common rule sets, to common metrics around uh, security and connection? And that's why I strongly believe that at the moment, yeah, everybody is trying to find in this digital world his pot, his business, his fast business. But long term, not working together, I don't think that it will work out. Yeah. And again, uh, we talked about um, before. Let's let's simply play this uh, this game about ambulance. Uh, if today uh, something happened uh, to any person if there would not be rules like a blood group or something else how do you want uh, to correct this I think we have to make sure that the DNAs of cars going also to security really to ensure that it can work together so I strongly believe it's it's really a joint effort and who believes you can do it alone either invest too much but I personally think they will fail hmm Larry Stoley, that's a little provocative from Otto. What do you think, Larry? Agree or disagree? And then I'll circle around to Sean Pike in a minute. Larry? Well, I kind of float all around the middle of those statements. I mean, absolutely agree with the statement that security and, you know, the burden of security and how everything fits together and works together is critical. This this is a network, and, you know, the weakest link is, the you know, uh, the weakest point in the security network. So get that. But one of the things that, that's very, very important to me to understand is from the consumer side. The consumer certainly has things that he or she has to do to be secure. Uh, number one, don't text and drive. I mean, you take it mm-hmm. from there. Those are common sense. But when it comes down to the security, there is no passenger, no driver that is able to address or take on the responsibility or the cost of all of this security. So the network is going to have to do it. It's going to have to be figured out among the network constituents and so on and so forth. And at the end of the day, security is going to have to be a given for the operators of a vehicle. It can't be something the, that, that they have to contribute to. It has to be there, it has to work, and it ha- has to be extremely effective and efficient. And then, you know, there's also the personal responsibility, but those are very low-level types of responsibilities compared to the security that we're talking about in a networked ecosystem. 
Thank you. And, and Larry, I want to ask you, when we're talking about these, these intrusions in network security, and I started the show with something dramatic about, hey, if you're part of that, it puts all participants in the network, entire network at risk. What kind of risk are we talking about here? Can you level set for me and define? Are we talking about uh, somebody's uh, secret spy-level information getting out because they texted from the backseat of a car? Are we talking about somebody famous, uh, their driving habits being portrayed the wrong way because of, of an insurance company's device that tracks how the car is being driven and you figure out who the driver is. What kinds of security risks are we actually talking about, Larry? Well, there, there, there are two, two security levels, I think, that, that we have to think about. There's a personal security level, and those are all the things that you just talked about, uh, all of which you know, have significance uh, in the context of, of what it is. You know, certainly it's important to the person it may be important, you know, maybe you're the presidential candidate and you're driving too fast. Who knows? You know, that, that all plays together, but that's personal. But when you become a node on a network, when your vehicle is on a network and so on, and, and a person can get into the radio of your car and thereby take, take charge of the CAN bus in the car and take over your vehicle uh, and do malicious things, um, that's pretty significant. But then when you consider that vehicle is on a network, and, I, and I'm reaching here to a worst-case scenario, but if that vehicle is on a network, connected to a network, connected to infrastructure, connected to other vehicles, all of a sudden a threat, should someone want to exercise that threat, becomes a much greater magnitude of significance. And, you know, I don't know what people can do, but, you know, think about it. At the end game, shut down infrastructure. Shut down vehicle-to-vehicle con- communication. Autonomous vehicles go berserk. You know, th- you know, I, I'm I'm way off in the the futuristic here, but if we don't plan today, tomorrow will be here before we know it. Mm, sounds like a title for a book. And I think I mentioned this, Larry, and perhaps to Otto a couple weeks ago. I was reading a novel called Dark Matters, which has multiple levels. Uh, Sean, you may find it interesting, by a new author named Michael Dow, D-O-W. And uh, he talks about a future world where connected cars, completely autonomous cars that don't even have a driver's seat, and a world where everything in our lives is done by personalized robots. I mean, the robots are serving dinner. They're tutoring your children. Everything is done that way. And the company, a a very uh, nefarious, underground, literally, company that's controlling the world with trillionaires who have the digital buttons to do that, they take control of the car, reprogram it so that it goes off of a bridge that it should not have gone off of somewhere in the Hamptons and wipe out this family so somebody new can be put in place to run this company. But we're talking about he he realized the car was not behaving as it was supposed to as he went on this little bridge in the dune area of the Hamptons in New York. And he said, and I'll quote, and this is not my word, he said, the bastards, because he knew they had reprogrammed the car. So everything was done, Larry and Otto and Sean, long distance by no-gooders who wanted to change the course of this company's history. Sean, have you ever heard of something like that? We're talking about $8 million cars here. <laughs> yeah, so uh, it, uh, that, that's really interesting. I think that's one of the uh, the big fears for sure, is that uh, that if, if a vehicle is, is hacked, uh, you could do all kinds of things with it without a, a driver knowing it. Again, we're sort of in the in the future there. Uh, I will say I did hear just a couple of things during that conversation with uh, with Otto and Larry mm-hmm. uh, around harmonizing policy, cost, and security. 
uh, one of the things that really stuck out to me was was the was harmonizing policy with with my background and in really kind of corporate compliance. That's something that the corporations struggle with all the time: uh, harmonizing policies around their their people and their data, um, and based on based on where it is in, in a particular geographic location. So you can imagine that same sort of a challenge when you talk about an autonomous vehicle. So if you're driving into uh, one county and the speed limit changes, for instance, it's going to need to be able to respond to that. Or, or perhaps there's no seatbelt law in, in one county, but there is in the mm-hmm. next. How are you going to enforce those things, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, I think the standards conversation is, is certainly one that we're going to continue to have uh, for the next uh, many years to come, uh, certainly being worked on already, but, uh, but, but we're nowhere near where we need to be. Very insightful, Sean. I'm thinking as you're talking about seatbelt standards uh, here in New York, well, I'm in Long Island and I'm about three miles east of the city line of Queens, which is one of the five boroughs of New York. They have typically a no turn on red law in New York City here in Nassau County, you can turn on red unless otherwise posted at very critical and very high traffic and pedestrian intensive corners. And there's one near me here. So people who don't know that they have gone from Nassau County to Queens County just across that little border are thinking, oh, great. I Well, I just came from a right turn on, on red and I'm going to do it here. And they are they're in infraction mode. So do you really think, Sean, that there, and we're going to get into our predictions round in about two and a half minutes here. Sean, do you really think that it would be a, a dream we could realize that there would be a standardization of everything involving vehicles and, and uh, people who drive them? I, I don't think uh, a standardization is necessarily forthcoming anytime soon. Uh, I think uh, initially the uh, the efforts there will, will go back to, to what Otto was speaking about, which was really around connected city. So each city or, or municipality will, will have to, uh, to play well with uh, autonomous vehicles at some point in order to get their messages to the vehicles. So if it turn on red, perhaps the, uh, the lights or the signage uh, are able to actually signal the vehicles to, uh, to make sure they know what is and is not appropriate at, at that particular stop, for instance. Uh, but I, I think we're headed in that direction. We're we're no, nowhere near there yet, but but we're headed in the in the right direction. But but like I said, we're we'll definitely need cooperation from more of a smart city to accomplish that. I like that. I like that the vehicle would receive a message that tells you, no, you cannot take a right turn on red in this particular location. I think that will help a lot. And that goes back to, Sean, what you said so so very appropriately a few minutes ago, and interestingly, that the average car on the road, especially in the U.S., is more than 10 years old, and it doesn't have any of that onboard technology. Therefore, the drivers may only hear about it, read about it, listen to it here on a radio show like this, and not even even know what to do with it when they get their hands on a newer car. Very interesting. And as as uh, the economy does whatever it's doing, perhaps people will be buying more used cars that still are not up to date on technology. Do you think there'll ever be a law, Sean, where technology on board a vehicle will make everybody at a level playing field where once you buy a car, let's say from a dealer and the car is five years old, it will have to be retrofitted with at least the standard of connected 
devices and connected IoT sensors at a certain point before the dealer is allowed to sell it to you, whether it's used or not? I'm just uh, futuristicing here. Excuse the word. Sean, what do you think? You know, I I, I can't imagine that that would happen. Um, yeah, I, I could see per, perhaps some level of that for a particular safety device. So, I you know, there's been. I know there was some debate about that around things like seatbelts and classic mm-hmm. vehicles at a point, but but I think generally uh, where we landed there is is most classic vehicles were just sort of uh, just sort of grandfathered in so that if it, it didn't have a seatbelt and and it was of a certain age, you just it is what it, what it is or just it deal was with what it. it was. Well, you know what, John? Uh, so, while I have, I just want to tell you while I have you in the hot seat here, we're officially now in the crystal ball predictions round. So, if you would take finish your sentence and then please tell me how far in the future you'd like to predict what will change from your viewpoint and your research at IDC. What will change about this topic? Connected vehicles, one security point on a vast data network. So, I'm going to give you uh, 90 seconds, Sean. Go ahead. Please complete your thought. Sure, thanks. So I'll just go ahead and switch straight to the uh, the prediction here. Okay. So uh, what, one of the things that we've really been talking about at IDC is, is the idea that uh, while we have autonomous uh, vehicles today to some degree and connected devices to some degree, they're all operating on, on the same kind of a network that we operate on uh, for the Internet and that our home our home is connected by and our work networks are connected by. What we've really been thinking about is the idea that we'll start to segment out some of those connected devices so that they operate in a different space or in a different way than, say, our laptop or the Internet or Facebook and so on and so forth, uh, which will uh, theoretically provide a, a greater level of security for those particular devices and on that network, we will see uh, a new version of trust that's incorporated into that. So when it comes to hacking and uh, hacking devices, there will have to be some sort of a trust element with, with a particular IoT device or an autonomous vehicle to make sure that we know exactly who it is that's in the vehicle, connecting uh, to the vehicle, et cetera. So uh, we, we think that will happen within the next five years or so. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. Otto Shell, GM, talk to me. Predictions, yeah, uh, 60 uh, seconds. Short term, I would really be, short term, I would be happy if um, people get to the point that they accept new technologies, that they lose the fear, that they don't talk negative in the first row. I just checked on the Internet also. There's a diehard version number three where they stopped uh, traffic lights, and this was in... 1995 from an idea perspective. So people did this already years ago and was possible. So let's stop thinking about the fear and let's attack the, the right windmills uh, as in the quote of Don Quixote. Uh, let's make sure that, that, that we open our mindset. I predict that in 2025, 2030, we will have the first towns where this is possible and where people start to enjoy because they see the benefits. They see the benefits for being connected, being driverless. I, we mentioned this for older people, for younger people. It's about driver and going to the childhood. So there's a lot of positive things. Let's take this, and I would predict this then as a good future. Thank you very much. I like that. Larry Stoli, I'll let you have the last word on predictions, and I can give you exactly 60 seconds. Go ahead. Well, sure. I, you know, my prediction is, is really focused, I guess, on 2020. And I think what, what I would predict is this, 
in the next three or four years, there's going to be a very, very heightened perspective on policy and standards. How do we make these things consistent across the entire spectrum of connected vehicles, whether it be traffic laws, whether it be data standards, whatever the case is, vehicle-to-vehicle communication, vehicle-to-infrastructure communication standards. I think there's going to be a tremendous amount of visible policy effort put into that. And I think also, you know, we talked about networks and, you know, space dedicated to certain things like connected vehicles and so on. One of the things that I think we're going to see happen is that we're going to take the dollars out of those networks. In other words, just recently there was a a segment of bandwidth that was allocated to connected vehicles. And they took part of the bandwidth away because somebody wanted to spend dollars to advertise in that bandwidth. And I think we're going to see a move away from that type of money talks. Uh, and I think we're going to get very quickly to security is going to talk. So that's my prediction. Standards and security has precedence. Thank you very much, Larry. And thank you, Otto Shelagy. I'm Sean Pike. I hope you enjoyed the experience. It was a privilege to have you join us on the panel today. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. This has been another live edition of The Future of Cars with Game Changers Radio. And I have a prediction. A little birdie tells me Larry Stoley is going to renew this series in 2017 for maybe the whole year because we have so much more to talk about. Tomorrow I'll be back with a live edition of CHRO's A New Conversation. It's a part two from our series Changing the Game with HR. Great panel expected on the show tomorrow that's coffee break with game changers 11 a.m eastern here on the business channel so here's my call to action and it's so fitting for this series fasten your seatbelt. maybe it's got sensors in it maybe that's a good thing what are you waiting for go out and be a game changer today shout out to justin and the business channel team thank you so much and everybody will talk to you tomorrow bye bye Thanks again for tuning in to the Future of Cars with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again Tuesdays at 7 a.m. Pacific, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.